morning, everyone. <clears throat> Glad to see you're here this morning. As Brother Kenny said, we are so small in number this morning, but we know the Lord uh, can be with us, especially if your prayers are with us. And I certainly stand in need of your prayers. You, Brother Kenny, is well, well knows, and those of you who don't know Kenny Street, that that uh, you're having you're having a hard time even getting the words out of your mouth in order when the Lord is not with you. So I stand in need of your prayers, and I hope the news about uh, that family up there, Brother Daniel, I was was happy to had the opportunity to be with him in the service just this past May in in New York City. He came up there, and I really enjoyed him. He introduced and did a good job to his younger brother. So he certainly can. That family needs prayers. A good family up that's in that church there. I'm in the uh, 24th chapter of Matthew this morning. Where I want to begin, and in the twenty-fourth chapter here, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them about the things that are to come. He's going to tell them that the, you know, the temple would be destroyed. He's talking about the future here because Christ is roughly thirty-one, thirty-two years old at this time, and he was born right at zero A.D., so we don't know exactly, give or take a year or two. But he was born about, you know, when B.C. turns over to A.D. He was born right in there. Some people think two years earlier than that, based on the timeline that Herod was king. But so right now, he's about 30 years old. We know that from the time he began preaching, 30, 31, 32. And uh, he's talking about the future, and he said the temple is going to be destroyed pretty soon. So we know that's not for another 40 years in 70 A.D. So he's clearly addressing to them some things that will come about in the future. And he references one thing that I want to uh, point up says here in verse 3 he starts off he's sitting up on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples three of them they're asking him questions verse 4 Jesus said to them take heed that no man deceive you for many shall come in my name saying I am the Christ and shall deceive many you know us old Baptists we like that word shall when we see it and we use it we want to emphasize it that's there for a reason here Christ says it twice in this verse 5, For many shall come to come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and, sh- and, and shall deceive many. He's got two shalls in that one verse. Jump over here to verse 11, and he reminds them again, And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive, uh, deceive many. False prophets, false Christ shall come, and they shall deceive many. Verse I want to focus on is a little further on in Matthew, <coughs> verse 24. And again, he repeats this. This will be the third time he's repeated this theme. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show a great signs and wonders, inasmuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. He's saying, going forward, we've got to expect there's going to be a lot of people coming along, and they're going to try to deceive you about you know, the religions of the world and about the doctrine of Christ. He said, some of them are going to come in Christ's name, some of them are even going to stay there, Christ, and they're going to do everything they can to deceive you. He used that shall, I think it's uh, seven times in those three verses that I quoted to you, he used the word, they shall, they shall come, and they shall try to deceive many. And in this one, he says, for there shall arise false pro- Christ and prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, inasmuch 
that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Who are the very elect? And I'll talk a little bit more that, about that later. But if it's possible, we ought to want to try to be in that very elect because we'd be the least ones that would be deceived. We may be able to deceive some of those that are in the false Christ, be some of those that are in the very elect. But the way it's worded, that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. They're going to try hard to deceive everybody. They're going to try hard to deceive even the very elect. Now keep in mind... Christ is telling that to us and to all the apostles and all his disciples. And he's talking to that about people that are children of God, people that are believers in God. And he says, this is the one, you're the ones that this false Christ are coming to deceive. <coughs> he said, it's not, you know, the wicked out there, the people that are annoying, whatever. They're coming to deceive the very children of God, those that, you know, have a place in eternity and have a place in heaven. And they'll be in, in heaven, but right now they're coming to deceive you. And in fact, if it, if it were possible, they're going to try really hard to deceive the very elect. He's, he's warning us about this message. You know, when we read this, most of the time we think this, and we assume that he's talking about all the people that come to uh, you know, pretend they're to be Christ. You know, and we've had hundreds of these over the years. You know, since I, I, I went and tried to check and did a little bit of research, even use the internet a little bit, try to figure out who all has claimed to be Christ over the years. We've had some that have, you know, over the years. I only started really keeping good count of them, about 1,700 in the United States. And we've had some in the United States and some overseas. Best I could tell, but just doing that quick and dirty research, we've had over 50 people that they've identified in the last 300 years, basically since 1,700 when America was formed. Not most of them, many of them in America, but a lot of them overseas. But over 300 people, over 50 people in the 300 years uh, they've identified have come claiming in some form or fashion to be the Christ. They come and they, they, they claim to be the Christ. They claim to be Christ reincarnated or incarnated in some fashion to be the Christ. And I, I made note of a few of them here because I thought found them kind of interesting. First one they had that was recorded because we know there was a lot before this. Christ said there'd be some even then. This is only the last 300 years out of the last 200,000 or 2,000 years. Uh, one of the first ones that was recorded in modern history was Anne Lee. She was the founder of the Shakers religion, and she claimed she was the female incarnate of Christ. In the 1800s, we had several, a guy named Arnold Tom, uh, Potter. Uh, he was an offshoot of the Mormon church about the early 1800s. He came claiming he was the Christ. Now, keep it these people, I tell you, I don't know of any of them that have died and been resurrected, but they all come claiming that they are Christ. Another one was two in the late 1800s was Cyrus Teed and Carl Brown. You go back and read about these people, and they had great followings. They had a lot of people. They were, it was kind of like a cult in nature, and they had quite a few followings that came and, and preached to them and told them, claimed to be the Christ, and they got people that worshiped them and followed them. In the, in the uh, mid-1900s, when this man died in early 1950s, his name was Prisma Zinta. He came saying he was the Christ. In the uh, 40s and 50s and into the 60s up in New York City, we had a very interesting minister who called himself Father Divine. And he claimed he was the Christ, and he had a large following along the Northeast Coast in the 40s and, and the 50s and, and drew a lot of people uh, with his type of doctrine that he was preaching. 
then we have the last three that's been in kind of in modern times that most of you are familiar with. And this is another book that we've had. It's the last three that I noted that uh, I remember, or last four, I guess. Uh, one in, uh, died in 2012, and he was popular in the late 1990s and 2000s. Sun Mung Yoon, I mean Sun Yoon Mun, Moon, I'll get it in a minute. He was the Moonies, as they called him. And he formed the Unification Church, which still exists today. But he claimed he was the Christ. And they've got a, a, a very large following in him, in, even in the United States and overseas. Then the one I remember specifically in 1978 is Jim Jones. Jim Jones went and formed Jonestown. And he uh, got a lot of people following him that believed in him. And he led them down into, you know, I think it was East Guyana and South America. And he... Uh, got them to drink to a, he formed Kool-Aid and laced it with cyanide to prove they could still drink it and not be killed. And of course, every one of them died. Uh, uh, then Jim Jones actually shot himself and killed himself then. That's where we get the deal. You know, you hear it, you hear it, they use it in politics a lot now. Well, who drank the Kool-Aid? You know, if you get some, if you become a firm believer in something and, and there's really not a, not a basis for it other than just what you feel or whatever, you know, you talk about it, well, he drank the Kool-Aid and you know, I've said that myself about certain things. I'm a believer in this. I've drunk the Kool-Aid. I, I, I don't hold hog in for this. And that's a political term, but that's where that came from, was from Jim Jones and him getting them to drink. You know, at the end of Mark, it talks about uh, when Jesus tells the apostles, you know, you can handle snakes and you can drink poison. That's where that came from. And the apostles were given those special powers. I really don't know of anybody else that's ever been given those powers except the apostles. That was so they could go out and perform the miracles uh, like they were supposed to preach and spread the gospel throughout the world. Last couple here, y'all know one, and you know, I'm surprised this is on the list, is Charles Manson. Manson. You know, and I read about him, and of course he did. To his followers, he claimed he was Christ, and he was the one that was a mass murderer out in California. You know, killed a lot of people out there, and, and uh, got a name for it. Died, ended up dying in prison in 2017, just a few years ago. Most recently, and this one was kind of, uh, I remember it really well. David Koresh, he headed up this branch of the Gideon sect that uh, had the compound outside of Waco, and the ATF and the FBI raided it, and then, of course, the, you know, when part of that raid, the place burned down, and all of them died and were killed in that. I remember that one pretty well because my brother worked for, at that time, older brother Charles worked for the Associated Press, and that's when he was getting a lot of publicity, David Koresh was, and they needed somebody to interview him, and they found out, Charles was a hard-shell Baptist, and so he'd done no more Bible than anybody else, so they, he ended up getting on the phone, and that was the only interview that David Koresh gave was with my older brother, and Charles got a funny comment. He said, that guy's crazy. He said, you know, he cites just enough of the Revelation uh, to sound good, but he said, you know, I've been through enough sermons and enough preaching to know better than what you hear, but says he really, he's, he's claiming to be the Christ and, and claims he is. Most of these people, of course, are imitators. They're doing it for the attention they get. But that's what we think of when we think of false Christ and many false ones. You know, he says here that many shall come in my name and use me and talk about me and claim they're me. When I read this about when there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, inasmuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Those guys that in all those, you know, 50 some odd that we've identified, and that was before after the 1700s, of course, when this whole thing was going on. Had to be hundreds of others even before that, back in the Old Testament days and over the years since. 
the Navy sees, you know, hundreds, and I'll say, you know, hundred here and a hundred there, and you know, it's a lot of people. Probably the Navy sees, you know, several thousand people over the cruise of thousands. Some of them, you know, have deceived many. I don't really think, though, that that's what Christ is talking about here. I mean, those clearly are false Christ, and we know they're false Christ. And you know, many times we laugh at them, you know, because we we see what they do, and we, you know, laugh, and it's sad because they do deceive a lot of people and cause a lot of people's death. But I don't believe that's what Christ is talking about here. I believe he's got something a little bit more, a little bit different in mind. He clearly was talking about people that come and imitate him, but I think he's got something more and bigger in mind here, not just deceives a few hundred here and there, but deceives thousands and millions. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Apostle Paul's talking here, and he says, beginning in verse 2, For I am, a, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste burden to Christ. I'm jealous. I want you to worship Christ. You are he is your husband, and you are his bride, and you need to live. But he says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, Christ is simple. You know, and we know this. Christ did it all. He died for us without us having to raise a finger. It's his, his doing. We didn't have anything to do with our salvation. He did. See, that's simple. And that's what they were talking about, the simplicity that is in Christ. And in verse 4 he says, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might as well bear with it. You might bear with it. He said, I'm afraid if someone comes along and preaches you another gospel, or preaches you another Christ, or preaches you another spirit, you might bear with him. He said, that's what I want to warn you about. That's what I'm jealous about. I don't want somebody coming away and preaching to you Christ, but the wrong gospel, the wrong Christ. He said, that's what I'm, I'm concerned about is preachers that come to you claiming they're uh, in behalf of Christ, just like Christ said. They may come and say they're like me or they're with me. But he says over here in verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And he, and he tells us, you know, over in Second Peter, in the first chapter there, Peter says, you know, I'm, I'm going to preach to you, and I'm going to preach to you some of the same things you've heard before, but I want you to remember them. I want you to drive it home, because he said, we are not deceived by cunningly devised fables. He's not talking about men and people particularly. He's talking about the gospels they preach not being the gospel of Christ. You know, you go read this book, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you go in there and study it, every time you hear the people heard him preach, they said, we were amazed at his doctrine. You know, and I want to go, well, which doctrine was that? Was that the doctrine of time salvation or eternal salvation? Was that the doctrine of, you know, of various things in there? He says, no. And every time you read it, every time you read in the Bible, it talks about Christ. They were amazed at his doctrine, singular. His doctrine is the truth, period. And he said, there's none of them there. When you get beyond that, he says, you're, then you're worshiping the doctrine of, of devils. And they don't be a de, 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 you know, pond away from all the other doctrines that are out there. There's only one doctrine, and that's the doctrine of Christ. And anybody that takes away from that doctrine and dilutes it in any way or poisons it is a false Christ. 
they're trying to tell you this is Christ and it's not Christ. And that's what he's telling us here. And that's what Peter was telling us. Don't be pulled away by these cunningly devised fables. Over here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul again speaking, I marvel that ye are so soon removed. He's writing to the church at Galatia, which has had a few problems. So he's writing to try to provide them clear guidance. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the gospel of Christ unto another gospel. He said, you guys, y'all have been had Christ preached to you. You know who that is. And yet, you've gotten so soon, you're getting removed from that. You're going back into practices and preaching that are not Christ, that are not what Christ taught you and what he left with you here. He said, unto another gospel. And he said, but which is not another. There is no other gospel. There's just one. One doctrine, one gospel. He said, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now this is what I think Christ was telling us back then. When these false Christs and false prophets come along, I'm not talking about the men. I'm talking about what they preach to you. I'm talking about the lies. I mean, effectively, that's my word. I hate to use that harsher word, but that's what it amounts to. But the deception they will use to lead you, lead you away from the true gospel of Christ. He said, even though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you other than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul said, anybody that preaches to you different than I've been preaching to you about Christ, then that person ought to be cursed. He said, and as we've said before, so say I now again. Remember, that's what Peter said. we got to preach this to you again and again because there's lots of deceivers and false Christ out there. He said, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. <coughs> For now, he said this, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. <coughs> now he said, there's a lot of preachers out there that are preaching to men. If I'm up here preaching to try to make you happy, particularly in your particular position here, he said, and, and I hope it does. Most of the time it should. But he said, that's not your job. Your job is to preach to please God. We're to preach the true doctrine that will be pleasing to God. And that's what he's telling us here. You know, we have some, like I said, some false, when he talks about false Christ, <coughs> I'm not talking about these various men and women that come along. You know, we see through them. Most of us see through them pretty quickly. The whole world does. And in fact, most of the time the media and everybody makes fun of them. But I'm talking about those people that come in and pervert the doctrine of Christ and deceive you with it. <coughs> and they deceive you away from the truth. And when he said it would deceive everyone except the very elect, might even get some of them. Who is the very elect? We'll talk about more of that in a minute. But the very elect is you. The very elect is you that know the truth. The more you know the truth, the more you're getting over there real close to being in that category of the very elect. And you are undeceivable. And that's where we want to be. That's where every one of us want to be. I want to know what the truth is so when I hear this stuff, I can go, that ain't true. That's not what Paul said. That's not what Christ said. We know where to go in the Bible <coughs> to correct it. And there's a lot of preaching going on in very high places that is not of Christ. 
And if you've been if you've been ground in the truth, if you understand it and you read your Bible, you shouldn't trust what you know, you shouldn't trust what I say unless I can prove it in this book. I shouldn't say anything that I can't prove in this book. None of us should. That's what preachers preachers are supposed to minister that way. But we got too many people out there preaching another Christ. Not the Christ that's in this book, but they preach a Christ. Most of the time, I say, at least on TV anyway, most of the time they're talking about money. You know, Christ will bless you if you'll just send in your seed. If you'll just send in $1,000 or $100. That's not what Christ preaches. That's not in this book. You know, if I if I need money, then why not call Christ? If I believe in miracles, if if, if you'll just send in $1,000, you're going to get all these miracles done to you. If that's true, then why don't I just do them and give them to you myself? Why do I, why not, if, if you believe it, you know, but what I'm wanting is I'm wanting your money. That's what I'm doing. That's what's taking place in so many. We're deceiving so many people that are listening to, particularly TV and radio preachers. And you all know who they are. There's some good ministers on TV. And keep in mind now, all of them, I think, are children of God. All of them are worshiping in the spirit. Everybody believes in God, and most will worship the right God. You need to go read the Bible so you know what the right God is and what the right Christ is. Because you've got a lot of people out there that are listening to this and being deceived. And that's what he says. There shall be many deceived. He's not talking about the imitating preachers. He's talking about the imitation gospel they're hearing. And they're, they're believing things they shouldn't believe. You know, over there, in, Paul tells us in, in 2 Timothy, I believe it's verse 7, but 1 and 7, he says, you know, we don't have a doctrine of fear. Christ's doctrine is power and love and a sound mind. He didn't preach a doctrine of fear. If I come tell you, you know, so-and-so, if you don't join the church and get yourself baptized, you're going to hell. Is that a doctrine of power and love? That's a doctrine of fear. I'm trying to scare you into going out and doing something. You've got to be led in your, in your heart to go out and do something. He says, you know, he tells us in there one place, he says, you know, there's, I lost my place now, but I can say it, I think. He says, if someone comes and tells you that you should, some of you are just backing off here, I believe. I want to make sure I get that right. Yeah, in Matthew 24, where I started out, he said, Behold, I have told you before, uh, wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, Christ is in the desert, he said, Do not go forth. Behold, he's out in the secret chambers. Believe it not. He said, People are going to tell you, Do this and you'll see Christ. Do this and you'll see Christ. Go here. You know, let's go out and build this big building and Christ will be there. Where is Christ? He's right here. Christ is right here. He's inside you. You don't have to go anywhere to find Christ. He is inside you. You just need to drop down and pray to him or whatever your needs are. He's right there inside you. And that's what he said. People will come and tell you all sorts of stuff that you have to do to go and find Christ, to see Christ. Things you have to do that Christ hasn't said you do. Christ doesn't say half the things that he is alleged to have saying in millions of other, by millions of other preachers who lie in wait to deceive you. That's another Christ. That's the false Christ. That's the real ones that are endangering and hurting people. And it's not going to send them to hell. We know that. Christ takes care of that. But I want to talk to you that there's about three different types of false Christ <coughs> that I believe are being preached today. I mean, you think about it. And if you think about it and you studied your Bible and you know it, you come and hear Brother Kenny preach, you won't be deceived. You will be among the very elect. 
as we know, there's a doctrine of election that's in the Bible. That's in uh, Romans chapter 9 where it says, you know, that the, the doctrine of the election, that the doctrine of election might stand, Jacob have our love and Esau have our hatred. God chose a people, when did he choose them? Before the foundation of the world. God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his grace and purpose given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You remember here just two or three weeks ago I preached on what took place before Genesis 1 and 1. You know, that's kind of a, huh? Nothing took place before Genesis 1 and 1. Yes, it did. And went through and be pointed out probably half a dozen or more scriptures where it said, before the world began, God had a plan. He chose his people. He knew you. He foreknew you. He foreknew you. He predestinated you. <coughs> he will call you. He will justify you and glorify you. All of that's taken place. Christ came to fulfill that plan of God when he came and died for it. When he, saw, he, he, he did the final work, active work, he did all the work, not any of us. Your eternal salvation has been taken care of. Now, we got to do this book. The majority of the time when it uses the word saved, it's not talking about eternal salvation. It's talking about timely salvation. Your eternal salvation is out of the way. And you go read this book, and I would charge you, you go read the, 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 all the writings in this book after you've got the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and then you start with the writings, Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, Peter and James, all of those, you go read them. Every one of them are not written to try to save your soul. They're written to people who are already children of God. They're written, they'll say, to the elect. I'm writing to the elect. I'm writing to those that already have obtained like precious faith. You don't go get your faith. God gives it to you. And Peter, Second Peter says that. I'm writing to all those who've already got saved. This book was not written to save your soul. That's already been taken care of. It was written to save you today and tomorrow and to save you from everybody here in this world who would be deceiving you, including preachers, including people like myself. You couldn't trust me unless I can prove it to you in this book. I can prove you God said it in this book. You know, most of the preachers don't do that today. They won't go tell you, but they'll tell you that God is wasteful. I'm going to tell you now about three Christs. I've got to move along my time. There's three different types of false Christs I want to talk to you about. Number one, there's the, the failure Christ, the Christ who fails. Christ came here to do his job. You know, we know over there in Matthew 121, it says he was born and came. He came to save their people. He shall save their people from their sins. Shall save them from their sins. Shall. The two people said, well, he wants to. He wants to save you from your sins so badly. And he just doesn't quite get there. You've got you to come and meet him halfway. You've got to do something. You know, you've got to <coughs> join the church. You've got you to hear the gospel. You've got to hear the gospel. You've got to believe it. You've got to accept it. You've got to join the church. You've got to get baptized. You've got to give to the poor. And they've got a list goes on and on and on and on. But things you've got to do to get saved. All the way through here it tells us in Ephesians, in Romans, the one I read you a minute ago in Timothy. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by his grace and his purpose and his mercy given to us before the world began. Now, our eternal salvation is over. We know the ending. It's a great ending. We know the ending is good. There's going to be millions in heaven, he tells us that. <coughs> There's going to be some in hell. He said, Esau, I didn't love. I hated him. There's going to be a few, but when he talks of that, he talks about a small number. Every time he talks about who's going to hell, it's a small number. Those that are going to heaven, it's a great number. God is good. He's good to us. We didn't do anything to deserve this. In fact, we did everything not to deserve it. But he saved us because of his grace and his mercy. 
That eternal salvation takes care of. God gave us this book to help us watch out for people who would deceive us about what he came for. He came to fulfill God's plan, and he did it. He died on the cross for our sins and fulfilled that plan, and it tells us that. This book tells us that throughout. And then he says, but now there's going to be people come along. And then I'll say it. He didn't say it exactly. I'll say that someone will take your money, take your guilt, put you on a guilt trip, try to make you do all these things. Should you go to church? You absolutely should go to church. You have the duty to go to church to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And the Lord, God will recognize that. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. You do something good for the Lord and he'll help today, he's going to reward you today and tomorrow. You know, I don't know when that will come. I don't know how that will be, but he tells us he will, and I, I, he, he cannot lie. <coughs> we believe in a God that loves us when we could, weren't even capable of loving. You go read Romans chapter 3. We're all depraved. You know, we don't like to teach on depravity because that's not good, but we are. You have to understand the doctrine of depravity. Before uh, Each man is depraved before you really understand the doctrine of grace. Once you understand that we didn't deserve it, we didn't merit it, that only because of his mercy. You know, when being a lawyer, sometimes you go down and when you see people in the courtroom, you know, and you're saying, you're trying to work with them and represent them, you know, and you, what do you got? Well, you know, the guy's guilty, I've done this, I've done this. Your only hope is to throw yourself on the mercy of the court. I need, a, I need something that I don't deserve because I committed the crime. That's the way you are. We did not deserve what he has given us. We are to pray. But in spite of that, he tells us he loves us. He loves us while we were still yet in our sin. You have this failure Christ, number one. Christ came to do it, but he didn't get it done. Yes, he did. He said it is finished. He finished all the work of God's plan laid out in this book. you got to fail. Secondly, you got the weak Christ that precedes us. Well, Christ came, and he died for you, and he did everything, and he's sitting up in heaven now begging you and pleading you, please to accept him. Please come and accept him. He's just, he's just begging you. Well, you know, then if that's true, then he's, you, we got a choice. It's up to us now. I can choose to accept him or I can choose not to. You know, he wants to save me. He says he loves me. He says he's got a place for me in heaven. But I could say, no, I don't think so. I can reject the Lord my Savior. I'm stronger than God. He'll give me this, and I'm going to say, no, I don't have to do it. That's a weak God. That's a weak Christ. No, Christ came to do his work, and he did it. He did it in spite of us, in spite of us not knowing better. You know, I used this example before, and I apologize. And it would hurt you. You know, I mean, I've got a couple small, you know, I've had a couple small, small children. They're not so small anymore. But I tell you, you know, sometimes if I came up and my child was sitting on the railroad tracks when it was an infant, a one- or two-year-old sitting in the middle of the railroad tracks, and I run up to the track, there's a train coming, I run up there, and I stop, and I go, okay, you got to come to me now. Child doesn't know any better. We don't know any better. you got to come to me. I can't come and get you. you got to come to me. No, you don't. We do the same thing Christ did. We'll put ourselves in the harm's way, put our lives in faith, and pick up that child and take them off the railroad tracks. That's a simple example, but it's the same thing. Christ loves you more than you love yourself, but yet he can't save you because you hadn't made up your mind yet. That's ridiculous. I mean, like I said, you know, this is a faith life, but that's what people are telling you. Christ can only do so much. No, you got to come to him. you got to accept him. Well, again, let's look at what Scripture says in some of these places. Ephesians, first chapter, 1, beginning with verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Through Christ, he gave us every possible blessing we need in eternal life. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. He chose us before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1-1, before this book was even written. He chose us in him before then that we would be in heaven without blame. Christ died for our sins. And he came to fulfill that in time with us because he made himself into a man, lowered himself down to do that. Verse, it says, according to he has chosen us without blame before the world began, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, am I going to heaven because I have chosen to go so? No, I'm going because it's the good pleasure of his will. He's made that decision for us. The, the, we talk about he's got a doctrine of power and love in his sound mind, not of fear. We don't have to be worried about him. He takes that, he takes that decision off us. He's already made it. Having predestinated us to adoption of children according to the pleasure of his good will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. We didn't accept him. He accepted us. Christ made us accepted by God. Christ did the work of even accepting for us. You know, you'll have some people that say that, well, you know, religion is another one of false teachers. Religion is a contract. You know, Christ will offer you eternal life, but you've got to accept it. You've got to do something in return. You know, you read the book, and again, and you all know this, I'll do the book in Isaiah. The best we can do, the very best work we can do in this world, the best job of giving to the poor, joining the church, all that, is nothing but filthy rags in his sight. The very best that we are, doesn't meet up to the level of the glory of God and his righteousness. And we'll get there one of these days when we get to heaven. We will be as righteous then. We'll see it. But right now, you know, unless you're different from me, I can't hardly go a day without thinking of sinful thoughts, something I shouldn't be thinking about. <coughs> I'm not going to tell you what they are because I don't want you to know. But all of us are that way. You know, we, we, we were born sinners. That's on our mind. We don't do what he tells us to do. We don't put him first. We don't put our other people first. We ought to put other people above ourselves. We're all selfish. We're all, you know, egotistical. All the things we're not supposed to be, that's what we are because he knows us. And that's what he saved us because he loves us. He created us. He loved us, and he saved us on his own. That's what he said. He's, he's done these things. Let me go over here to another one real quick. Again, we have this fell Christ and this weak Christ. He can't do anything because until you go along with him, that makes me stronger than him, you know. We also then have this Christ that wants to please everybody. This is false, you know, and I, I don't want to get into naming any religions or whatever, but this is largely the non-denominational phenomena that has crept up in the last few years. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what your church you are. There is no doctrine. Just come and be happy and just say you love the Lord, and that takes care of it all. You don't have to even read the Bible. You know, these have grown up, and these are very popular. A lot of people are deceived by that, thinking that's just all you got to do is just Come and be happy, and we'll all be together, and we're all of us just one church. We're not going to get into any fights over doctrine and all that kind of stuff. There is one doctrine, and if you know it, you're not going to be subject to the deception that all these false Christs are out there. And they're all brought to you in the form of doctrine. Let me go to another one here, point out another couple places. I'm just picking out a few. God said in, I mean, yeah, Jesus said in John 8, 47, he that is, is is of God heareth God's words. Hears God's words. 
Ye therefore hear, not, hear them not, because you're not of God. If you're not already a child of God, and he hasn't put himself in your heart, you can't hear God's word. So you can come here a sermon preach, and you think, okay, I heard him speak, he's a good preacher, but I don't understand that at all. You know, you can go to uh, 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 10 and 14, the natural man who hadn't been born again, hadn't been regenerated, natural man, heareth not the things of the Spirit. They are spiritually discerning to him. You know, they're foolish in the Spirit. He can come and sit in the back of the room, any room, and hear the gospel preached, and he doesn't understand it, doesn't know it, doesn't tell you. That's the way the Apostle Paul was before the Lord struck him down on the road to Damascus and converted him and made him born again. And then after that, did he understand the gospel? Yeah, he's written about 12, 14 of the books where he explains himself how the, how the salvation works. But, you know, did Christ and the Lord and Christ and the Holy Spirit, before the foundation of the world, made a plan. They made a plan. They wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. Go read Ephesians and uh, Revelation chapter 5, 6, on and on. The Lamb's Book of Life has your name in it. So not a name will be taken out, not a name will be changed, can't be erased, can't be added to. That book is sealed. It's heaven sealed. It won't be opened until Christ opens it at the end of time. Your eternal salvation is on lock. It's on lockdown. Nobody can get in there. You wouldn't be here this morning if you weren't a child of God. You have something in your heart that's restless. Go to Ephesians, excuse me, Hebrews, the chapter 8, where it says, you know, I'm not, I don't expect people to know my laws. I don't expect anybody to teach about them. He says, you know, from now forward, I will put my laws into their hearts and write them into their minds. Let them be, they will be to me a God, and I will be to them a people. And they shall not teach every man to know the Lord, for they all stand up and lead to perversion. It's not my job to go teach you to know the Lord. He says, that's my job. God says, I'll do that. I'll put myself in their hearts and their minds. You know, one day you think, there's a higher power out there somewhere. You know, you may not know the name of Jesus. There's people that are children of God that are in the darkest of Africa that never never heard the word of Jesus. Don't know who it is, but they're going, something's just happened to me. I feel something here. There's a higher power. I may not know the Jesus, but you can fly over there in the in deepest Africa, and you'll get off the plane, and there'll be people there that'll cut your throat and heartbeat. And then there'll be somebody that'll rush over to help you who doesn't know you at all. They'll have compassion on you because they've got the Lord in their heart. Now, that's, that's how he does. That's what he says. It's not your job to go out and teach anybody to know him. And we got half the religious world going to teach you how to know God. He says, do not do that. You are not to teach every man your neighbor and every man your brother to know me. I'll put myself in their heart. They'll know me. Now, after that's done, the work of the ministry is to go to minister to those that are already have eternal salvation. That's the work of the ministry. Go read chapters 8, 8, 9, and 10 of Acts. Chapter 8, Stephen goes out and he's going to minister to the uh, Ethiopian, the eunuch Ethiopian. And when he gets there, how does he find him? He's reading the book of Isaiah. Now, if Philip went there to save his soul, he got there too late because he's reading the Bible. The Lord beat him to it. Now, he did minister to him and he ended up baptizing him. He went to take care of him in ministry. Chapter 8 is the Apostle Paul. He was an evil man. He was seeing havoc in the church, killing people, hauling them off to prison because they were worshiping Christ. That's what the, he was sitting on the stall. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing until the Lord struck him down on Damascus and then the, and sent him in, and blinded him and sent him into town and then he called him and went to talk to Ananias. I'm shorting this up. He talked to Ananias and said, I want you to go over and minister to Paul. He goes, Lord, do you know who that guy is? He's bad. You know, he's anybody's worshiping Christ. He's going he's to kill him. He said, no, 
he is now a chosen vessel unto me. So when Ananias right over that, got over there to take care of him, <coughs> when the preacher got there, how did he find him? He found Saul praying. Found him praying. Now, if Ananias was sent there to save his soul, he got there too late, the Lord had already taken care of him. Go down to the next chapter, the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, where you have the apostle Peter was told to go over and see this man named Cornelius. So he went over to see Cornelius, and, and right before he got there, it says Cornelius had been talking to the Lord and prayed to the Lord. He knew the Lord, and he was a good and just man. Again, if Peter was sent there to save him, he got there too late, the Lord already beat him to it. So Peter ended up talking to him, and he took care of him and ministered him and baptized him and his family. Now, the Ethiopian in chapter uh, 7, excuse me, chapter 8, the Ethiopian that Philip got there and baptized in chapter 7 was, if you, excuse me, chapter 8 of uh, <coughs> Acts, <laughs> being an Ethiopian, he was a black man, so that means he was more likely a descendant of Ham. Now, I mean, Noah, you know, you trace things back, you go back, you don't have to go back to Adam, all you got to do back is go back to Noah's Ark. And those people that escaped there were Ham, Shem, and Japheth. That Ethiopian was a, was a descendant of Ham, being a black man. You go into chapter uh, 9 and you find the Apostle Paul. He was a Jew. He was a descendant of Shem. Go over there at Cornelius. It says he was a Roman soldier, a centurion. He was a Caucasian. He was from Europe, uh, the, uh, the middle of Europe. So that means he was a descendant of Japheth. You have a descendant of three chapters, back to back, three examples, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Out of, he, he will save people out of every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Lord's taking care of this for us. And so, we're, you know, men are trying to take credit for stuff the Lord done. That's another false pride. And they're trying to take credit for what Christ can do. They came to save souls. We're going to save so many souls this year. Go over here in uh, the John chapter 6. And again, he tells us how how uh, Christ has been here talking, 6, verse 37. He said, All the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Christ talking. And you know when you hear that quoted on the air, they'll quote the second half of that. Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. All you got to do is come to Christ. You just come to Christ. That's required. Christ is sitting there waiting on you till you get to him. They, they, they forget to read the first verse, part of that verse. All the Father giveth to me shall come to me. That's irresistible grace. We're going to go to Christ. If, you, if, the, if the Lord has chosen you, you're going to come to Christ. You may not join the church. You may not do some things like that, but you'll come to Christ. You'll come to accept him. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will that sent me, that all of which he hath given me, all those names he wrote in the book of life, he has given those names to me, all he's given me, I should lose nothing, but shall raise him up again at the last day. Verse 44, no man can come to me. No man can even come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. You know, no man can, Jesus saying, no man can come to me. You know, everybody says, you need to come to Christ. He said, Christ says, no man can come to me except the Father that sent me draw him. You know, we've got this piece of furniture in my, our bedroom, most of you do. It's a chest that holds your usually socks and underwear and all that kind of stuff. You go over there. How do you get that chest open? You go over there and you grab your handle and you draw it out. You do, that drawer doesn't come out by itself. You, you have to get it out. You have to draw it out. That's the way you come to Christ. The Lord draws you. <coughs> it's a dead weight draw. He, there is a, you know, 
I say he gathers us a special father and pulls us to Christ, those that he is doing that to. No man can, he said, it is written by the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. That means they're all taught by God. He said, God said, remember, I'll put my laws into their hearts and their minds, and I'll, I'll be to them a God, and they'll be to me a people, and they're not to teach each other. He said, you'll all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh into me. He says, they're going to come to Christ. Does that mean they get baptized? No, not necessarily. Does that mean they're going to do the things that we were taught to do in this book? That's for us in this world today. Let me move along. And that's what this Bible is about, is teaching us how to survive in this world today. Uh, John chapter 4. Remember John in chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He spends, that's a good conversation he has with her, but she clearly doesn't understand. She's a Samaritan. She's been worshiping under the Samaritan and Assyrian kind of a, a <coughs> pagan type worship. Jesus tells her, verse 22, you worship, you know not what. There's a lot of us like that. We can say that a lot. You're worshiping in something and you don't have a clue what it is. You don't know. He said, we know that we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh, Christ says, and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. He wants us to, to worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me go back to where I started now and I'll conclude. Go back here to Matthew chapter 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. You understand the doctrines of grace, salvation by grace, that the Lord took care of this by his mercy and his grace, grace before the world began. And now he gives you grace if you go to him and ask him for time salvation. That means salvation while we're alive here. The eternal salvation is taken care of before time begins. If you go do that, then you know the truth. And you're not deceived. You're not deceived. You're one of the very elect. That doesn't mean you're special over anybody else. God doesn't play favorites with anybody. <coughs> we're all in the eligible to the last book of life and going to heaven, whether they even know the name of Jesus or not. But there's a lot of deception that goes on in this world. There's a lot of troubles and tribulations in this world. But Christ says, I've overcome all those tribulations. And he's telling us here, here's how you can overcome many of them, is that if you learn the truth, read your Bible. You hear something doesn't sound good, go read it. Look it up and study it. Confer with a minister that you trust and feel good about. But it <coughs> then you become by knowing the truth, not being you're not exposing yourself to the deception and false Christ that are out there in this world today. And teaching you a doctrine to fear about well, too bad about your dad, he never joined the church. Well, no, we're not my dad. That was the Lord's job to take care of his eternal salvation. You know, I'm worried about my son that hasn't joined the church or hasn't gotten baptized. That's not my worry. You know, Christ takes care of those things. He's already taken care of the eternal salvation. Now, yes, everything you do today and tomorrow, if you go out and violate the commandments in this book, then you're going to have to suffer the consequences here in this world. You may do some things that are not good. You know, if I don't do the things I ought to do, if I don't give to the church or attend church, if I don't do various things and take care of my brother first, all those type of things, then I don't get the blessing. But if you do what, if you seek after God and, and, and Jesus and you try to do what he told you to do, he's going to bless you. He won't always come open. In fact, he's told us sometimes it'll come privately. 
and become privately in secret. You know, sometimes I'll pray to the Lord and ask him for help in some way. And I thought, well, you know, if a problem I've got, uh, you know, I kind of look back in about three months and I'm going, the problem went away. And I don't even know how that happened. It just went away. The Lord does stuff like that. It's what It sounds like it's convenience, but it's never convenience to him. If you pray, he answers prayer. If you do what he instructs us to do, he honors that and he rewards rewards that. If you do that, then you become the very elect and you're not subject to the false doctrines and the false lies of this world. I appreciate your kind attention and my prayer is that the Lord would work his way through your life.